This morning's reading comes from Luke chapter 5 and 7. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teacher of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to church. So good to be with you guys. You guys look great. You look happy. We've got our summer vibes going today. All the colors are out, mostly. Um, hey, I don't know. I don't know about you. I, 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 uh, I have a love-hate relationship with flying. Um, is it, you guys like, are people, anybody just like hate flying? No? Okay, yeah. Some, some people, it's a real phobia. Um, I, lo- I love going on an airplane, except for when I became a Christian, all of a sudden I felt this like weird pressure to like lead every person I sat next to to the Lord. Does anybody else feel that? Am I alone? Where you're kind of like, I think this is my moment. I'm never going to see him again. Low risk, high reward. And yet we never really do it, you know? There's different vibes you can have. You can be a headphone person. I'm, sometimes I'm headphone in, hoodie on, don't talk with me, don't mess with me. Sometimes I just had a fresh cup of coffee, and I'm just ready to chop it up, you know? Um, but I had, I had an experience a couple years ago that, like, really kind of was interesting to me, okay? I, uh, I was sitting down. I was first one in there, window seat. Anybody love the window seat? Yeah, what a weird thing to gather around, you know, like window seats. We love them. I love a good window seat. But I'm sitting in the window seat. Some older lady comes and sits next to me, and we start talking, and um, we're just having an awesome convo. Like, I found out she used to be a hippie, and she still kind of is, and we're just, like, loving life, talking about things, chopping it up. And then uh, some, some younger dude pulls up on the aisle, which you're always annoyed by because you're thinking we might just have this whole row to ourselves. And already this dude is, like, minus one. We're like, bro, you ruined it for us. But uh, he came in just guns a-blazing. Like, this dude, he must have just became a Christian and was just like, this is my moment to lead this old lady to the Lord, you know? So he sat there. And I promise you, it was the most passionate, zealous, 95-minute gospel presentation I have ever heard. Like, he was just going in, going hard, sharing stories, experiences, conferences he's been to. I remember he got up after 45 minutes because he had to be exhausted. He got up, goes to the bathroom, and this lady looks at me, and she's like, I'm like, can you believe what's happening? I'm like, I know, Christians, they're, they're the worst. Don't look in my backpack because there's some real things that would drive you crazy. And uh, I remember he even came back, and at the very end of the flight, this is what was really interesting to me, that the flight landed, they're wrapping it up. He's like, man, thanks. It was so great to get to know you. And then he goes, well, I actually never caught your name. I was like, dude, that's, that's rough, you know? And, and I share that because I don't know what to do with that interaction. Like, there's parts of me that I'm like, man, that was, that was not it, you know? That was not the way to go about it. You didn't see this lady as a person with a story, and you didn't see her humanity. You didn't look in her eyes. You didn't know one thing about her. You just saw her as someone to preach at. But then also inside of me, I feel this, like, 
I'm inspired by that, you know? Like that passion that I don't have. And it's easy to write that passion off and be like, well, that's the wrong way to go about it, and I'm gonna feel good about me doing nothing on this plane ride, you know? But we all feel that. We feel that gap. We feel that, that tension. We, we all do. Barna even did this study a couple years ago. They surveyed 2,000 adult Christians who go to church on a regular basis. And listen to this stat. 100% of them agreed that they have a personal responsibility to share their faith. How often do you get that study where it says 100%? Not very often, you know? You got 100 but then in that same study, it said 69% have had a spiritual conversation in the last 12 months. 12 months, one year. Only 69% have had some kind of spiritual conversation with someone who has a different belief system than them. And so we have that gap. We have this 31% gap between what we really believe and what we practice when it comes to sharing our faith. And you see, we see that growing in the church everywhere today. The difference between what we believe and what we practice. And it's around this phrase that some of us love and some of us hate, and I'm just going to say it, evangelism. Yeah, some of you get really excited when you hear that. You're like, finally, I've been at this church for two years, and I'm dying for this evangelistic series. And some of you, your heart just kind of cringes when you hear that word. But evangelism. And nonetheless, we have this growing gap between our culture at large in evangelism, and it's because social norms well, they used to be king, you know? We would, we would conform ourselves to what society was, and now it's actually flipped. Where now it's society trying to form into me. And now my personal autonomy, my, my freedom is the king, which makes the only real cultural wrong, the universal thing that is wrong for everybody, is evangelism. For me to tell someone how they should live, what they should do, what they should believe is really the only thing that I'm not allowed to do these days. And so that's why evangelism is one of the hardest things for us to do as Christians in this moment. And we all have different words and feelings around that thing. And we're all in this in-between space where we're torn between these two realities. The priority of Jesus, go make disciples and just the utter awkwardness of evangelism. And so this morning, what I want to do is I, I, want, I want to tell a story and look at a phrase that we, just, that we just read and we just looked at of Jesus' methodology to evangelism. If I, had a, if I had a title for this message, we're not big title people here, but if I did, if you want to tag this talk, somehow it would be called Eating and Drinking. Eating and and drinking. Is that, enough? Is that compelling enough? Are we good for this post prayer? Are we ready to roll? Eating and drinking. Some of you are leaned in, ready to go on this Sunday morning, eating and drinking. Let's pray, and we'll get into it. Jesus, we thank you for the ways that you've drawn us in, for the ways that you've met with us, spoken to us, loved us, cared about us. And Holy Spirit, I just, we just invite you to speak to us this morning. Uh, we, we really, we don't need more content or more information. I have nothing new to say this morning. Um, but we need a word from you. We need our good shepherd to speak to us, to lead us, to talk to us, convict us, comfort us, encourage us. Only you know us. And so we ask that you would speak this morning. We need a word from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so this story that we read, right, Luke drops us in right in maybe what is just a normal day in the life of Jesus. 
Luke chapter 5 tells us the story of Jesus and Levi. Some of you were thrown off. Levi, a.k.a. Matthew, okay? So some of you were like, it's hard. Christianity is already confusing enough, and then we got two names for the same guy. I'm like, come on, bro. But this guy, Levi, okay? I might say Matthew sometimes. might just slip out. I'm sorry. Okay, just forgive me. They're the same guy. But Jesus and this guy, Levi. And, and Levi, we see him in his booth. He is a tax collector. He's probably heard rumors about Jesus, you know? He's probably heard the murmurs of what is happening, but he hears it through his own lens. See, tax collectors, they're primarily these Jews who have worked for the Romans. They were traitors. Not only that, they're dishonest, they're deceitful, they, they, they have schemes going around betraying and hurting and using and manipulating their own people. Right? They would see the tax that the people were, were forced to pay, and then they would actually just make them pay more because they could, and they had the power and the authority to do so. So they would use their devices for manipulation, and it was to use and to manipulate their own people, the Jewish people. And so some Jews are starting to surround this Jesus guy, right? There's starting to be this buzz, and Jesus has probably walked by his booth several times. And every single time he walks by his booth, Levi, you know, his head dips down in shame. He's trying to hide because he does not want this young, hip, new rabbi to see him. When all of a sudden, one day, he stops at his booth. And he says, Levi, come on. I want you, bro. Come and follow me. And some of us, you know, we hear that. We're like, yeah, that's what Jesus does. He's like always telling people to come follow him. And we actually miss the whole scandalous nature of that. It's actually really, really crazy that he, would, <laughs> that he would do that. That he would come up to this guy's booth, that he would just say, come on, come with me. And then we see this scene change, right? It's a couple of hours later. Maybe it's the next day. We're not so sure. But we're at Levi's house, which I'm sure was nice because he had some bread. And he's in this house, and he's in there with the other Pharisees, or with, well, not the Pharisees, but with the other tax collectors. And they're all in this house, and the buzz is there, and we're hanging out. And what started with just a normal day for Levi ends up at his house with a party with Jesus and he, I mean, he's got to be like, what is happening? I mean, there's music, there's some stuff going on. Somebody's on the barbecue, he looks over to one of his other tax collector buddies, and they're like, he's like, dude, what happened? He's like, bro, I have no idea what is going on. I mean, he looks at him, he's like, this dude's here, Jesus? He's like, yeah, I don't know. And in reality, what we see here is there is something so compelling about Jesus there's something so magnetic about who he is that there is no logical, reasonable explanation for uh, Levi's response in this moment. But we see this time and time again in the Gospels that when Jesus appears to people, when he reveals himself to people, they are completely undone. And what is logical just goes out the window and they respond. I mean, just a little side note here, even in our evangelistic efforts, like, it is not your ability to, 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 to convince anyone of anything, but it's as we see Jesus. This is conversion 101 for Levi. I saw Jesus. He said, follow me, and something in me just responded. Like, that was, that was it. There's something so compelling about Jesus. There was no pros and cons list, no compelling presentation, no apologetics here. It was just, come, follow me. Like, three words. That was it. And then a couple hours later, he's in his own house, in a barbecue, in a banquet, eating and drinking with Jesus. It's, it, it, it's, it's crazy. I mean, the Pharisees are really, if we really think about this story, okay, the Pharisees, they get really up in arms. You know, they're really frustrated. 
And a lot of times, man, we read the Pharisees, or even like in Luke 15, when we read about the older brother, you know, we just, we know the answers. Like, we know that's wrong. You know, don't be judgmental. Don't be self-righteous. I mean, we hear about the older, the older son and the prodigal son story, you know, Luke 15. The younger son returns back home. They throw a party. The older brother's out still working for dad. He comes back. He's frustrated, you know. That's how the Pharisees are feeling in this moment. They're like, yo, we've been doing stuff the right way, and here you are hanging out with people who've been doing it utterly and completely the wrong way. Right? In the story, they're the only ones that make sense. Okay, let's just say that. They're the only logical ones in the story. But we see Jesus is not logical. We can look at him and say, what the self-righteous, the Pharisees, my goodness. They're the only ones that make sense. They're the only ones that are like, yeah. I mean, Jesus eating and drinking with tax collectors is not something you would say. You're like, yeah, we've heard the stories enough to where like, that's Jesus, you know. Not in the moment. And we have to understand the, the, the actual scandal of what is happening here. It's really, it's like it is a scandal. Like, what do you do when you hear a scandal? Your jaw drops, you gasp. Oh, my goodness. That would have been the felt expression and response at the time. No way Jesus is eating and drinking with these people. I mean, it seems like everyone except for Jesus is uncomfortable with his method of ministry, and it tells us a lot about Jesus that should make us a little bit uncomfortable. That Jesus is so full of joy, that Jesus is so compelling, that Jesus is friendly. <laughs> it, it, it's a theme actually throughout the whole scriptures, right? Like I just said in Luke 15. Okay, think, think about this. this. This is a story that Jesus tells about somebody coming back to faith, coming to the Lord, and he says that there's a scene change, you know, he's like with the father, they're having this moment together, and he comes back, and then the scene changes to the older son, he's frustrated out in the field working, and it says that he hears music and dancing, like that's what draws him in. I've been to a couple, I don't know if you guys have been to parties in the day, you know, I've been to a couple throwdowns, barbecues, to, to, to know that there's music and dancing is one thing to be a part of it, but to be outside the room and to hear the music and dancing, like that is a real party, you know? So Jesus' invitation, Jesus' picture of what it means for someone to come to faith is party. That's what it looks like, right? Even Jesus' very first miracle, right? John chapter 2. We always read this with like some kind of weird eyes on it. We hear, we hear uh, you know, his mom look at him and say, Jesus, can we, can we do the wine thing here? We're out of wine. We need wine. And Jesus is like, woman, my time has not yet come. Like we hear it with like this grimace and this scowl, like woman, I am the son of God. Don't you talk to me that way. But I don't think that's his heart really. I mean, I think he's trying to say like, look, I'm not really supposed to do this yet, but ah, they need wine. And what does he do? He turns the water into the wine. And it's not even just like a little wine to get it through. It's the best wine. It's the most wine. He cannot help himself. He's so full of joy and it overflows. He's not, he's not a God of like scarcity. He's not stingy. He's abundant and it flows out of him. Or even like in, in the book of Revelation when it talks about what it will look like in heaven together. The illustration that it uses is a marriage supper, a wedding reception. There's like one place that is socially acceptable for adults to dance in 2023. And it's at a wedding, you know? It's at the wedding reception. And Jesus is saying, this is what it's going to look like when we're all together. It's not going to be a bunch of people kind of sitting around on their seats, real holy, doing their thing. It's, it's a marriage supper. It's a wedding reception. There's joy. And there's something that grows in us that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable with that. There's a spirit of religion that can just rise up within us and say, that just doesn't feel right, you know? I mean, can you imagine the conversations Jesus is having with these people? It's probably not what you would expect. 
They're probably saying words that you are uncomfortable with. They're probably doing things that you guys are uncomfortable with. And yet he makes them feel at ease. His mission and his method is eating and drinking with tax collectors. I mean, just think about that. Think about Jesus' reputation here for a moment. I mean, he kinda, he's like, look, you guys weren't happy with John. He never ate, never drank, was super weird. Okay, You guys didn't like him. And yet, this is what you say about the Son of Man, that he came eating and drinking, and that, that he was a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I mean, just, just, just like think about that for just a second. The reputation of Jesus was that this guy is having way too much fun, enjoying life like way too much to be the Messiah, you know? Like, there's no way this can be the guy. I mean, to be identified as a drunk, like, the only way this guy's doing this is if he's just lit all the time. That's the only way, you know? Like, that was his reputation. That's what the Pharisees are saying about him. That's the murmurings. And we laugh because that, be, that just makes us feel so uncomfortable. And hear me, I, I am not saying that the sinless son of God was a glutton or a drunk, but the way he lived, lived in some kind of way that, that made people think that. And it wasn't even just like he was, he's not just like not turned off by the tax collectors and the sinners. It's not like he's like, well, I've got grace for them too, you know, but it seems like he's drawn into them. Like those are the people he's like attracted to. The broken, the outcasts of society, it's who Jesus is and it's what he did. And I say that this morning because when it comes to evangelism, I don't, I don't know what comes on your mind. Like I don't know if it's just like preaching, if it's tracks, if it's like I got to, you know, figure out a way to, 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 to get my message across to this somebody. But Jesus, his, his method was interesting. Tim, Tim Chester, he has this little book called A Meal with Jesus. And in it, he notes that the Son of Man is used twice in the Gospels. That, that, that title, the Son of Man, both used by Jesus about himself. One is in Luke 19 when he's talking about Zacchaeus, and he says the Son of Man came to seek and to save the loss, that the mission of Jesus is to seek and to save that which is lost, that, that, that those who walk in darkness, he is, he's not just being passive saying, hey, come to me, whoever, whenever, however, but he's, he's actively pursuing people who walk in darkness and is inviting them into great light. He's actively seeking. He's on a rescue mission. It's why he came. It's another side note here. When we talk about evangelism, like oftentimes we think about it on our own initiative, but let me just say something. Jesus is already doing this right now. We are just joining in what he already wants to do. You're just walking on that moving walkway in the airport. Hello, so much airport stuff. I don't know what, I just haven't flown in a while and I miss it. Um, but we're already in the movement. He's already doing these things and we're participating. We're just actively joining in on what he's already doing. So the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's his mission but then Tim Chester says the other time it's used is what we just read this morning. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And he says that you see the mission of Jesus and then you see the method of Jesus. And that's a little interesting, right? I mean, if you just think about like, okay, he's the Son of God. He's come to seek and to save the lost. Here's what you should do, Jesus. You should just get up in front of the people and just preach that thing, you know? Which is kind of what he does sometimes. Which is actually interesting, right? It is what he does. And most of the time, the audience of who that is, is the Pharisees or is the Jewish people. And it's, it's kind of people who maybe lost the plot line a little bit. They were heading one way, and he just comes, and he, he knows they've got some kind of framework for what's going on. And he just preaches that thing. And that's a real kind of people that we're interacting with, right? People who kind of, I mean, we're, we're in Columbia, Missouri. We've got some Bible Belt people. We've got some, 
I had my barber the other day tell me that he was a born-again Christian. I have no idea if he knew what that meant, and I barely know what, if he knew what that meant. You know what I mean? So, so we've, got some, we've got enough handles to grab onto. And Jesus, he had that same audience, and he would just preach to them. He would say, you've lost the plot line. Here it is. This is actually what's happening and what's going on. And he would preach. But for people who have no idea the plot line, what he would do is he would eat and drink. The Gospel of Luke is really fascinating if you look at it. Almost every time you see Jesus, he's either going to, he's at a meal, or he's leaving from a meal. Some commentators say that he ate his way through the Gospel of Luke, okay? Like he just was eating all the time. What an interesting way to do ministry, Jesus. The Son of God came to eat and drink. Fascinating. And I don't know about you and your story, but for me and my story, that is actually what, that's like, that's what happened to me. (laughs) I was was in college trying to do my thing, doing whatever, I don't know what people in college want to do. Like I I had my dreams and ambitions and stuff that I was excited about. And um, I met this dude who was about 70 years old and I, I was an athlete and he was in athletic ministry and I have no idea how, to be honest. He does not, in every shape, form, and fashion, does not look like he should be in, athlete, in, a, in athletic ministry. But I just like this dude. Okay? I, I started getting, he started inviting me to lunch. He started buying me Subway every other week and I would just talk at him. I just vented and he would talk to me and he was real with me and vulnerable with me. I actually didn't really even know what was happening. Maybe he had an agenda with me. I didn't feel like it. And over the course of like three or four months, I felt this like love that I had never, ever experienced from another person. Someone who like saw me, not as like what I could do for them or what I did, but just who saw like my heart, saw what I did, saw the struggle, the vulnerability I was bringing, listened to me, asked me questions that I never thought about myself, all while I ate that Italian BMT footlong toasted (laughs) with no vegetables every week, you know? I mean, eating in and about itself is just kind of vulnerable, isn't it? Just opening my mouth. I'm probably chewing with my mouth. It's just a vulnerable act. And he listened to me and he talked to me. And over the course of a couple months, man, my life was totally different. And I don't even, to be honest, this is, and I'll, I'll tell him this to his face. I don't remember one thing he taught me, okay? I honestly don't. I'm sorry. I don't have any things. I'm like, well, that's what Jeff always taught me. Like, I got nothing, dude. I got no thing that I learned from him that I can consciously remember. But my heart was so loved, and my life was changed through meal after meal after meal meal with this old guy. (laughs) Eating and drinking was the methodology of Jesus. And it's what the New Testament refers to as hospitality, Hospitality. Hospitality comes from this Greek compound word, philoxenia. Is that impressive? Are you impressed by that? I said it first time right there. I practiced that in the mirror this morning. Philoxenia. If there's any Greek people in the house or people from Philadelphia, Dan Zai. Philo, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. You know that, right? Philo is the first word, love, and then xenia, stranger. Hospitality really is just the love of the stranger. So hospitality is a lot more than just having someone over for dinner, but it is the active love and affection for people who are outside the family of God. Rosaria Butterfield, she says, hospitality is about turning strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. And it is one of the most rich themes in the entire New Testament. Romans 12 says to share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. First Peter says to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Hebrews 13 says to show hospitality to strangers. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, they, both, they actually both say it's a qualification for an elder that they would be hospitable. I mean, there's no podcast or Hulu documentary on that pastor who fell due to a lack of hospitality, you know? But it's dense, it's thick, it's connected in what it means to be in the mission of God. It's imperative to what Jesus did and to what the early church would. And I just want to submit to you today that it is one of the most strategic and one of the most effective ways that we share our faith in our own cultural moment, hospitality. I'm ripping most of these next little notes of loneliness off of Jeremy's article that he wrote, so he's not here today, so we'll just keep that our little secret. Sound good? Is that all right? All right. There was this, but there, there's this, the, the former surgeon, Dr. Vivek Murthy, she was the first one that called loneliness an epidemic. Okay, Murthy shows us that, that loneliness is what, is, is what she calls an insidious type of stress that leads to things like chronic inflammation and an increased risk of heart disease, arthritis, and diabetes. According to Murthy, loneliness has the same effect on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And even Mother Teresa, before modern medicine said it, she said the worst disease of any human can ever experience is loneliness. And yet, just like Jesus, we, are exist, we exist for relationships. We are created in the image of a triune God and therefore eternally relational. And to be fully alive is to be in relationship. So the mission of Jesus, the methodology of Jesus, hospitality paired with the loneliness epidemic in our own cultural moment marries us together for what Rosaria Butterfield says is the most effective way of mission today, which she calls radically ordinary hospitality. Radically ordinary hospitality. She says, radically ordinary hospitality. Those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. They know they are just like the meth addicts and the sex trade workers. They take their own sins seriously, including the sin of selfishness and pride. They take God's holiness and goodness seriously. They use the Bible as a lifeline with no exception. But those who live out radically ordinary hospitality, they see their homes and their lives not as theirs, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors and lives. They seek out the underprivileged because they know that the gospel comes with a house key. The gospel comes with a house key. Hospitality. I don't know how you guys feel when you think about hospitality. There's a couple ways that we can interact with that thing. There's some southern hospitality in the house, which I love. And there's also this drift into entertainment that is far from the heart of hospitality, but is much, much different. Let me explain that a little bit. Ashley Gad, Ashley Gad on her podcast, Coffee and Crumbs. Any Coffee and Crumbs people in the house? Hello? All right. No? Well, that's fine. Check it out. Thought I'd, get some, thought I'd get some amens there. I'm going to have to re recover really quick. Dang, none of them. Or you're not bold enough to say, not say something. Um, she, she talks about how in hospitality, you got some? I got, I got an amen? Thank you. Thank you. Huh? All right. All right, stay with me. Okay. She, she says in the podcast, she says there's two real ways that we relate to having people in our home. 
She says one way is hospitality, and the other is entertainment. She says entertainment says here I am, and hospitality says there you are. Entertainment says here I am. Welcome to my home. You know, it's not much, but you know, we've got, here's my glasses. Here's my plates. I know that wall is a little, it's a little off color. We're working on it. You know, hospitality or entertainment is much more about you trying to impress the people in your home than it is the actual person that's coming in. Entertainment's about the ambiance, the vibe. You're really trying to, you know, get it right so that when they leave, they said that house, those people, they're awesome. And you're ultimate kind of goal in the, in the midst of it is, to, is for that too. You're like, I want them to be impressed by what I have and what I can do for them. And it's a slow drift to get there, right? Like it starts with pure intentions. I want to make a home for people then slowly, but surely that hospitable, that, that hospitable spirit can just drift into wanting to be an entertainer. And I get it, man. Like, like it's your home. It's vulnerable. And you're kind of aware of everything that comes in. If each person looks at me like, hey, well, we're, you know, we're working on that. We're, we're, we're trying to figure all these different things out. It's your living place. But, but hospitality is just different. It's one of the most beautiful ways to welcome people into your life. And where entertainment says, here I am, hospitality says, there you are. Hospitality is utterly and completely about the other person. It's about serving. It's about inviting them into your home and enjoying the time together. It's about serving people, blessing people, giving people a place to let down and breathe. And hospitality is hard work, man. Hospitality is hard. E- even last night, like, we had some friends have us over. I had the kids, and we just ate, and then we just left. <laughs> we didn't help with the dish. We didn't cook them. We didn't do anything. Like, we didn't cook anything. I was the worst guest in human history. We just hung out, made a mess, and left. And I was driving away thinking, that was really a blessing to me, you know? (laughs) Hospitality is hard. Like, it's a sacrifice of your time and your energy and your resources. But it's one of the ways that we can bless and invite people into our lives. And so what does hospitality look like? Because it looks totally different for all of us. But really simply, hospitality can just like you inviting someone over to your home. Order some food if you can't cook. Cook a meal. Make them some food. Have a barbecue. You can, if you don't have a home right now in your current setting or you've got a bunch of roommates, you can go out to dinner and pay for the food. You can buy them a meal. That's a great way to be hospitable. You can even invite yourself over to other people's house. That seems to be what Jesus does a lot. That's very Christ-like. I'd say, <laughs> what are you doing for dinner? Can I join? You know? I don't know. It's what he did a lot. And it worked. <laughs> but you eat meals with people. And you engage in small talk. I used to feel real bad about small talk because I, I kind of like, like small talk. Okay, sue me. I don't care. Okay, I like small talk. All right, I don't know how unchristian that is, but I like to small talk. And I'm, I actually used to feel really bad about it, but I'm, I'm learning that it's, it's really a form of love to just care about people, to talk about what's going on in the world and in their life, and it builds bridges. Engage in some small talk. And then ask meaningful questions. There's like a thousand questions that you could Google right now that are somewhat meaningful, you know? Like, it's not that hard. You could Google. If you're like, I don't know what to ask, just Google it, okay? There's tons. Okay, I, don't even have, I couldn't even give you any because I'm like, there's just a lot out there. Just ask meaningful questions. Ask about life, the purpose of life, what's been hard. 
Ask about their story. And then just pray. You know you can pray like in real time? You can just ask God to do stuff in your mind while they're talking too? It's, it's, it's great, it works a lot. Just ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and words and a heart to be present in the moment. And don't pull out your phone, but just be there with someone. Hospitality is about eating meals with people, but it's also just a way of life, you know? I mean, just having some margin in your day, having like a little gap in the iCal just for nothing, you know, just in case you run into somebody and you might want to talk about something. Having some gaps in your day, having your eyes open to what's happening in the world and just being a hospitable presence. Ordering a coffee and being like, how's it going today, you know? (laughs) Something really small and simple is to be a hospitable person. Having a willingness to be disrupted in your day. I mean, I'm all for the goals and the focus and the drive, but do we have just some space to be like, oh, there's something going on, let me, let me divert for three minutes of my day just to talk to somebody. It's about being a hospitable person. And I don't say this out of like guilt and shame, and like you should definitely do this, but, but, but honestly, it's, it's one of the ways that we just miss out on what God's doing in the world. It's one of the ways we just miss out on what God is doing in our own lives, the doors that he's opening, that we're just like so zoned in on whatever's happening that we just miss them. We're missing out on interacting with people who are different than us, who live different lives than us, who experience harder or just more challenging situations than us. We're missing out. And so at the end of the day, hospitality, is, is, which is just love for the stranger, is about creating space. Creating space at our table, in our lives, in our home, and in our schedules. And it's one of the reasons we do community groups the way that we do community groups, that they're like always open. See, we have this like natural like flow of things. It's like lead someone to the Lord, invite them into community. That's, that's it, basically. Okay, I don't know where I was going with that. Okay. But community is the way of evangelism. You're not just inviting someone into their personal thing, but you're inviting them into a community. And with people so lonely today, we want our community groups to be spaces where you're able to invite your friends who don't know Jesus. And it's why we don't just kind of like cap our community groups and we put a limit on them, we put a period and we say, you go be that same community group for 15 years, that's fine and great, but we want them to be open. We want them to have space for people to come and enjoy the life-giving friendships and community. And community groups are incredible, but there's also a warning for our own community groups that we just silo ourselves in and we're just around a bunch of people and we're like, finally, I found my people, which is amazing. But sometimes it just makes our world and our life so tight that we actually lose the relationships that we once had. We don't have relationships with people outside of the faith or friends who don't know Jesus. And we silo ourselves in. I mean, I, I mean not to be like too pushy, but like, even if you survey your last six months, You just thought, how many meals, how many deep conversations, how many moments have I had with people who don't know Jesus? And just to think about your relational capacity right now. Do you have space in your life for friendships, genuine friendships with people who don't know the Lord? And I have to note this in in this whole thing, okay? It's not a formula. It's not like seven minutes of small talk plus eat entree Turn the conversation a little deeper right after the meal is, you know, closed. Wipe up your mouth and get to it and then say, do you know where you're going to die? Do you know where you're going to go when you die? I'm tired, man. I've got some stuff <laughs> leaking out right now. Okay. You know, you know what I mean? Though? There's no formula to it. I'm just trying to make a beeline for something, but it's actually being in the moment. 
It's why Jesus actually ends his entire thing here with like a really interesting phrase. Luke chapter 7. It says, the son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then he says, but wisdom is proved by all her children. Wisdom is proven by her children, a.k.a. like her fruit, right? Like wisdom is not just about a theory or a concept, but you see wisdom and how that thing plays out. And so loving the stranger, loving our friends and neighbors, it's not about just trying to convince them into your way of thinking. And if you're doing that, you're missing the heart of evangelism in and about itself. That's not wisdom. That's a theory. That's an idea. But it's actually believing and living into the freedom, the joy, the peace, the satisfaction that comes with Jesus. It's to actually live in a way that begs the question, there is something utterly and completely different about this person. Right? Jeremy preached this last week. Jesus, before he sends people in the mission, he says, but, but wait here in Jerusalem and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's the question to us today. Are you a witness? Like the Holy Spirit has come and filled us up, not just to be content transfer people, but we are meant to live and embody the fruit of the Spirit in such a way that is transformative, that looks different. The invitation of evangelism is to be a witness, people who are changed from the inside out, that live and experience him differently. I mean, I used to read this verse thinking it was like cool to go to parties now, you know? That's when I first heard it in college, I'm like, it's cool, dude. I, Jesus did it, and it's fine. And I just kind of thought I could just be the cool Christian enough to make people, then if I could just kind of side, you know, side door them into the kingdom of God, maybe. But Jesus didn't just, he wasn't just like fitting in. He was, he was in their relationships. He was there, and something was utterly, completely, totally different and compelling about him. And he's saying, the wisdom, the wisdom is seen by my fruit. The wisdom is seen by my life, the joy, the deep richness that I have in my life, the, the ability to hold suffering and pain in my life. I mean, the real evangelistic question of the day is like, how is that working for you? You're, you're like, kind of worldview and your philosophy and your thoughts of how it's going, like what's the fruit of it? How's it actually going? And for most people, it's not going well. Like it's not that hard. Like anxiety and depression and these things are like higher than they've ever been. We are a struggling people. And it's just asking, what's the fruit? What's the, what's the, what's the fruit of the wisdom that you might have? It's probably not that good. And even if it is good, what happens when something gets taken away? What happens when that thing you built your life on all of a sudden crumbles and now your life is in a mess? What, what's going to happen then? It's, it's, it's looking at the fruit of what's actually happening. Jesus says the fruit of wisdom is seen in the life that you live. And it's for us to be a people of hospitality. It's to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and to see Jesus as the essence of hospitality. It's how he ends, right? He says it's, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. The Jesus message is that we are all born sick. That we are all born in need. And he came to seek and to save the lost. And he has not experienced some form of missional drift. Like he is still doing that in the world, but also to us. The sickness that you feel, the inner brokenness, the boredom, the shame that you might carry, it, it's not what disqualifies you to do this kind of stuff. It's not what disqualifies you or makes you, ma makes you unattractive to Jesus, but it's still the thing that draws him into you. 
The, the message is that we hold this, this beautiful gospel message, but we hold it in these broken jars of clay. And that we are broken people, and there are cracks in our life, but it's almost always in the cracks that allow the love to come in. And it's the hospitality of Jesus, the, the insane hospitality of Jesus that welcomes us as sinners to his table. That's what moves us in the mission of being a hospitable people. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your posture towards us that you don't come with a pointed finger, but that you have open arms even right, even right now. Grow us in our hospitality, Lord. Not, not just as, as people who open up our homes, but as people who open up our lives to our friends. Even right now, would you just put some people in our minds and in our hearts to, to care about, to pray for? And remind us even now of your willingness to love us. Meet us in this moment, even as we worship and as we sing. Meet with us. Amen.